The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west, the cool of the north touches the calm of the south, and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ. Here and now, where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. We greet you as you listen in your home. We greet you as you listen in your place of work. We greet you as you are traveling, and especially we greet you as you are able to be present here this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. May we pray together. O oh God, before, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, 
Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all of the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading Psalm 99 with the Antiphon. King, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is the Lord. Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is the Lord. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statuses that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. Surely the Lord our God is holy. as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. 
Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days, told no one any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Neither rain nor snow nor darkness nor blizzard weekend will keep the Marsh Chapel congregation or choir or collegium from their appointed task. Welcome one and all. For those who may be listening from afar especially, we greet you this day in word and in music. That is, for those new to our service of worship, either present here or listening from afar, we warmly offer this especial word of grace and welcome on this particular weekend and this Sunday, February 10th, 2013. Your own church may have been closed today and so you are listening. Your hockey game or neighborhood gathering or personal commitment may have been canceled due to the weather and so you are with us. In other words, snow like grace may have interrupted or intervened or interceded into the otherwise well-laid plans of life. Good. Welcome. <laughs> New to all of this, you may not have heard our regular dialogue sermons come Bach Cantata Sunday. Allow then this Lord's Day a brief explanation. Our envisioned mission at Marsh Chapel to be a heart in the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city extends by radio and internet to the whole globe, the heart and service of the city of the whole earth, the oikumene. We lift the praises of God on these Sundays with the help, support, and guidance of J.S. Bach. Now, why Bach? Because, at least from one perspective, Bach is the best. Bach is world-regarded as the very best. In Europe, in Asia, in the Americas, around the globe, Bach is heard as the best, and we want the very best for our service of worship. Nothing else is due, nothing else would quite do. That is, Bach brings the whole globe together. In order then to make the Holy Scriptures read for the day, this lesson so clearly stated of the transfiguration, the veiling and the unveiling, the brilliance of the immortal, invisible, divine, and also to make accessible the cantata for the day, make, that is to make both as meaningful and accessible as possible to as many as possible, from the 19-year-old undergraduate in the third pew here to the 89-year-old widower listening in situate, Dr. Jared and I have, over several years now, offered these dialogue sermons on these cantata days meant to merge word and music in the very gospel, the word birdsong of God. This form of preaching is, if not unique to our Marsh work, at least unusual and special. And in that, we take great joy. We bring 
such with happiness to you. It is one gift that we may lay upon the altar in heart and in service. We do so with you today. Today we bring a word of faith, a word about faith, a word in faith for those who may, like the Samaritan of old, feel themselves outside of the formal community of faith. Faith is God's gift to you today. Faith is God's gift to you today. Yet if there are 60,000 people now listening to our radio broadcast service, 40,000, it may be, will identify with the phrase from this past week's Washington Prayer Breakfast. One speaker inclusively addressed those of various faith traditions those present that day, and also those, as he said, quote, of no faith that they can name. It could be that two-thirds of our listeners, Sunday by Sunday, faithfully and honestly understand themselves as people of no faith that they can name, of a faith that has no name. Is that you? This past Wednesday, many of us gathered, undergraduates with the dean of the chapel and others, to discuss God on campus. If there has been a more spirited, honest, and enjoyable conversation among two dozen pe people re recently in this area, that would be news to me. It was a fire burning. One young woman speaking in the midst of her peers and speaking, I suspect, for thousands said, you know, I just don't have that kind of rote faith anymore. It could be that two-thirds of our students, faithfully and honestly, understand themselves as young people of no faith that they can name, of a faith that has no name. Is that you? Over the course of ministry in four decades, nine pulpits, one brief superintendency, one briefer presidency, and one delicious deanship, the best job anywhere, by the way, through various defeats and victories and Thursday evening meetings of the Cradle Roll Committee, the greatest thrill and joy has come from those who are just outside the visible community of faith, prospects, constituents, the unchurched, such an uncharitable phrase, the unchurched, how ominous it sounds. Better, we shall say, our neighbors. To spend time with those just outside the bounds of religion, so-called, that is the purest joy of ministry. It is the best of times. It could be that two-thirds of our neighbors today, from Brookline to Bar Harbor to Bangladesh, faithfully and honestly understand themselves as people of no faith that they can name, of a faith that has no name. Is that you? It could be that two-thirds of our actual and virtual congregation faithfully understand themselves as people of no faith that they can name, of a faith that has no name. Is that you? Outside Israel, there lies Samaria, Along the road from religion to life and back, from Jerusalem to Jericho, there lies a man in pain. Love lifts him in the person of a person of no faith that he can name. The hero of our cantata, this transfiguration morning, the Samaritan, later known and now known for all ages as good, stands in this passage as a person of faith that has no name. In a moment, the waves of musical beauty, the gospel of grace, freedom, and love, the music of this day in beauty and melody and harmony will roll over us. Dr. Jarrett, what, we may wonder, shall we hear? What, we may ask, shall we listen for? What? We may inquire, shall we await today? Well, as with all of Bach's cantatas, they are sermons in and of themselves. Today's cantata is Bach's only uh, musical setting of the Good Samaritan story. And he uses the Good Samaritan story from the 10th chapter of Luke 
to uh, dissect and to look at the Christian struggle for faith. The law of the New Testament is one of love, grace, and of mercy. And it's easy enough for the Christian to love Christ. That is an easy aspect of faith. But what's more troublesome for Bach and for his theology and for his congregant is the faith journey required to love neighbor as self. This is uh, unfolded over the course of the movements of the cantata, and you'll hear those in a few moments. The first movement uh, is one of Bach's most masterful works of art uh, in the repertoire. The piece dates from his very first year in Leipzig in 1723, and as such, uh, it, it, it's, um, it's Bach's proof of his worthiness in this new role as the music director in the town of Leipzig. Um, the, the first movement that you'll hear is an exact setting of the text from Luke chapter 10, verse 27. You'll remember it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This unfolds naturally enough in the voices of the chorus. You'll hear them, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, and they are doubled by a very typical orchestral complement of strings, violins, violas, and uh, doubled by oboes. There are two additional sections, though, which have specific and special function in and around the gospel text, because they musically depict the Old Testament law. The trumpet, the other obligato instrument, uh, plays the chorale tune, which would have been very familiar to the Leipzig listener, plays the chorale tune, these are the holy 10 commandments, these sind der heiligen sein Gebot, the trumpet plays that tune, and the cello and the bass play that same tune in canon, but in augmentation, that means in long notes. So they play whole notes and half notes, and that becomes the underpinning, the framework for our experience of the New Testament law. It's a masterful weaving of old and new, as if to say that the new law will wander and can't exist on its own, without the underpinning, the framework, above and below, above with the trumpet, and below with the cello and the bass of the old law. There's more. The melody of the new law is the mirror inverse of the chorale tune, further weaving the old and the new into an inseparable conception of our faith. Beyond that, as if that's not enough, the chorale tune played by the trumpet has how many commandments in Exodus 20? Ten commandments. The trumpet plays ten phrases in canon with the cello and the bass. The final of those phrases is ten measures long. So uh, Bach's mastery of composition is um, almost difficult to take in in a listening without the awareness of these layers of complexity. Um, it's a ravishingly beautiful movement, and you'll notice its trajectory from wandering strings at the beginning. They gather confidence in the new law of mercy and love and grace as the other voices enter and with the confidence of the framework of the old law. As the cantata proceeds, movement by movement, the soprano sings an aria, um, a joyful aria depicting the Christian's love for Christ and as a basis of faith. Um, the obligato instruments, there are two oboes which play in parallel thirds, a very standard Baroque compositional device to have uh, for a love duet, the uh, instruments in pairs moving uh, side by side. Here, it could depict the old and the new law moving together in parallel motion, side by side. The final aria is sung by the alto voice and is accompanied uh, or paired with the obligato instrument, again, the trumpet, played today by Chris Beluccio on a piccolo trumpet. Originally, Bach designed for this aria to be played by a slide trumpet. If you can imagine a trombone, a small trombone that works backwards, that is to say, the the bell and the mouthpiece move, the slide doesn't, causing um, dental hazard uh, in its playing. Um, 
It's, uh, it is a virtuoso aria for that instrument, and its difficulty uh, undergirds and underscores the difficulty of the demand of the new law to love neighbor. And the text says, the text says, we are very willing to do this, but we sure do fall short, and it sure is difficult. The uh, cantata ends, as you would anticipate, with a final chorale, um, uh, imploring uh, the Lord to help us with this faith journey, and that would that we could be like the Samaritan in our heart and in our faith and in our love of neighbor. It is a deep exploration of the story and uh, a very introspective and personal and fantastic musical theological moment for us today. An interweaving then, Scott, of love of God and love of neighbor this Lord's day. And so our experience of the Samaritan as his gift of love attends us is the very faithfulness of God. Where others profess too much and too quickly, where others believe blindly or shallowly, where others pronounce themselves holier, humbler, more religious than thou, where others might rush in where angels fear to tread. Behold this day the goodness of the Samaritan, his life in loving and giving, in knowing and loving, in giving and knowing, has become his faith, a faith that has no name. Yesterday he shoveled, he shoveled the widow neighbor's walk, uncovered a neighbor student's car, brought milk and eggs to a homebound neighbor's kitchen, chipped ice from an elderly neighbor's roof, included in family sledding a busy neighbor's son. Come blizzard weekend, a faith with no name may be the truest faith of all. Is that faith ours? Is it yours? A generation ago, our dear teacher Paul Tillich called such faith the state of being ultimately concerned. Are you deeply concerned? Do things concern you? When you come upon a man whom bandits have stripped and beaten and left by the side of the road for dead, does your heart quicken? When you see a victim of violence harmed by others who have since disappeared, are you concerned? Before gun violence or unfettered drone flight or children untutored or wayward greed or amoral sexuality or steady drunkenness or moral indiscretion that is somewhere on the road from religion to life, from Jerusalem to Jericho, are you concerned? Your concern is your faith. In deep concern, you discover grace and freedom and love. Your concern is your faith. But now Tillich is long dead, and his concern may not fit just every 20-year-old today. In our generation, then, we might call such a state of faith a state of being ultimately connected. Are you deeply connected? Does life connect you to others? When you come upon a man whom bandits have stripped and beaten and left by the side of the road for dead, does your heart quicken? When a fog surrounds you, brought on by the collision of the warm winds of love and the frosty glacier of wrong, what? Do you connect? Do you text then or tweet then or post then or email then or call then or write then or visit then? Does the plight of another move you? toward others. Along the road then from religion to life, from Jerusalem to Jericho, are you connected? Your connection is your faith. In your deep connection, you discover grace and freedom and love. Your connection is your faith. So, beloved, let us live our faith. Let us live our faith remembering the words of the Ten Commandments, no other God, no graven image, no name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, honor father and mother. Do not kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness or covet. Let us live our faith. Let us live our faith in the figure of the Samaritan. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. As of old, the Samaritan did so. Amen.
gifts of voice and instrument beautifully brought to us and equally for their willingness to come here early in the morning when the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even. Let us return our thanks to our musicians. Beloved, we pause again to welcome you to the nave of Marsh Chapel and to our listenership from afar. We draw your attention to the notices printed in your bulletin. There will be no Bible study today, nor a luncheon in the days to follow. And the Thurman Choir rehearsal is not happening today. I have it on the best of authority. <laughs> also, we ask you to notice uh, Lent is Upon us, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, and there are events through the week, including observances that day, to which we draw your attention. We invite you to use the red pads that are found in the pews along the center aisle so that we might be able to greet you following service and others might greet you by name. And we solicit, we warmly encourage your generosity, either present or from afar, to continue to support our ministry and music here at Marsh chapel. With these thoughts and concerns before us, let us continue to worship by presenting our tithes and offerings.
for the work before us, the life within us, the fellowship among us, and thy love that surrounds us. We give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray. Amen. May we carry as ours this week, week the hope of Charles Wesley and his verse, Unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combine, and truth and love let all men see. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen.